just past 7 o'clock, and you know what time it is. Time for Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsama along for the ride as well. And Ira, a little bit of a crazy week for you. You got a lot of exercise two weeks ago. And then this week, you didn't slow down at all. You were out and about. Well, I love spring training baseball. And I it's just great to go to these games. I saw four spring training games and one heat game. So that's five <laughs> sporting events. You had decent seats for these games, too. You know right where you want to sit. And spring training, I'm assuming, you can pretty much get your seat you want when you want it. Well, that's it's, it's great. I'm sitting, like, two rows behind. Actually, the one time I was sitting for St. Louis Mets in the first row for $20 a ticket. First <laughs> row. Now, at Yankee Stadium, that ticket would be, what, two, dollars $3,000 yeah. a ticket. So. <laughs> um, no, it's funny. I said they, they need, some of these teams need to hire you as an advanced scout. You're there anyways. <laughs> you got the best real estate. Um, so in addition to that, and I can't wait to hear about um, you know, your takes on Roger Dean Stadium, Fit Team Ballpark, and the Palm Beaches, because Palm Beach County is a hub for spring training, so it would be great to get the iris spin on that. Also, we've talked on this show about the heat, and we're both on this heat team this year. You got to go down there and see them as well. That's a Wednesday night, and we'll talk about them, but I was great going to the American Airlines Arena uh, against the Magic. Love this team a lot. Can't wait to talk about them. We have a great guest coming on at 730. It's Danny Tarkanian. Tell us about him. Uh, Danny is the son of the late Jerry Tarkanian, who was a legendary coach at UNLV, mostly known for Long Beach State and also UNLV, and then Fresno State. Won over 700 games, won a national championship, fought with the NCAA. Actually, had the NCAA pay him $2.5 million because they investigated him so much. But <laughs> this book, I read the book in the last couple of days. Great book to read. Uh, Danny is uh, wrote a great writer. I can't wait to talk to him about this book. And that's going to happen right around 7.30 here on Iron Sports. Um, okay, Iris, let's talk about the heat first. They had a really weird little skid there for about two weeks. I think they dropped six of seven, something that was uncharacteristic of the rest of the season. But outside of that, I think this team can go to the finals. I, I know everyone loves Milwaukee and Boston, but there's nothing that if this team plays their game, I think they can win, get to the Eastern Conference Finals and win. Right. I mean, I just want to, can I just take a minute to introduce this Heat team to everybody? Sure. This is the introduction because you might, because now you're going to turn the TV on and just like Heat's on playing. Like, who are these guys? Are they any good? And they are. I mean, they have this young core, Bam Adebayo. Great draft pick. Six, seven, six, eight, four. 14th pick from Kentucky. He's an all-star, makes $3.5 million a year. But he is developing into, I, I mean, just a, you're one of the top players in the league. I mean, there's some day games he is defending. Last night he was running the point at the end of the with the Wizards Crazy. game because Butler was out. Then you have Derek Junes Jr. from UNLV. He's in his third year. He was undrafted. Uh, he won the slam dunk competition. You just see, but every, his defense is tremendous. I mean, these aren't guys that have bit parts. These are key components of the team. Uh, it makes a million and a half a year. Kendrick Nunn, 24-year-old from Oakland College, not Oakland, Oakland College in Detroit, <laughs> undrafted, played in the G League. He's averaging 15 points a game. Uh, great shooter, great three-point shooter. Then you have, everybody knows Tyler Hero, but Tyler really hasn't played like the last few weeks. He's been, he's uh, averaging 14 points a game, 36% from three, uh, really only played like 37 games, 37 games this year from Kentucky, but 20 years old, super exciting, great, just, just amazing, can jump out of the building. And then Duncan Robinson, right now, 
best shooter in the NBA. Best shooter. He is every game. It's like seven threes, eight threes. I have on my fantasy team. He's 25 years old, undrafted. Again, another undrafted from Michigan, earning a 1.5 million a year. Uh, 243s already this year, setting the Heat record for number of threes. But it's like every single game, it's mm-hmm. seven or eight threes. So you have these five young guys, and then you put Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler from Marquette, same place that Dwayne Wade went to, uh, just bounced, not did bounce around, but was the key foundation for the Bulls. They didn't want him anymore. Went to Timberwolves, that didn't work. Goes to the Sixers and leads them to, yes, last year to a good, nice run. And then he signs with the Heat. And he is the perfect complement to this team. He does it some nights. It's 13 points, 12 points. Doesn't need to score. Just mm-hmm. needs to help the team. And he plays great defense. Take the meet, and they got Jay Crowder in the trade. You talked about how much you like Jay Crowder yep. coming in. Played at Boston. He's from also Marquette. This is like a whole Marquette team. <laughs> he was drafted in the second round. He's played at Dallas, Boston, Cleveland, Utah, Memphis. The only thing that's a combination about a lot of those teams is that all were winning when he was playing with them, which is great. He's averaging 12 points off the bench. And then Goran Drogic, who everybody was ready to put in the trash heap, this and that. They're the, remember Goran, they signed him. They made that big trade to Phoenix. They traded them. They signed him to the uh, five year. $90 million contract. He was an all-star in 2018. He's like he's playing the best ball of his, since he's been at the Heat. Mm-hmm. Looks, he's Crazy. coming off the bench. Everything off the bench. So there you have the nice mix of the young players and the old players. Uh, and then, oh, I forgot Andre Godala. You bring him from, well, all he's mm-hmm. done has been on five five finals, was the final MVP, 36 years old, just a veteran who comes in off the bench, great player. And Kelly Olynyk, I think, has been recharged by this. He's playing well. He's playing more in the rotation mm-hmm. and because now he's actually being the center role where they have to guard a big guy. Then they bring Solomon Hill. They have Myers Leonard. They got rid of Waiters, Winslow, and James Johnson. This team is deep. They are passionate, and I love how they play. Uh, they look what I the one thing I like about this Heat team is that they Duncan Robinson is draining threes. Duncan Robinson is not this famous NBA player, but when he's hot, you see Jimmy Butler looking for him. You mm-hmm. see the other players looking for him. When they were going into the Magic at the end of the game, and uh, um, Terrence Ross was scored 37 points for them, he was on fire. He was could not miss a shot. And Aaron Gordon, their star player, decided, oh, I'm going to shoot a three point shot at the end of the game, not pass it to Terrence Ross. Whereas the Heat, when they see that Duncan is on a fire, they just give him the ball. You're absolutely right. How good does this look on Pat Riley's resume? The fact that they were in cap hell literally a year ago. Now they've got four guys, two of them undrafted, and two guys that, you know, a lot of GMs look at any pick past three as a garbage pick. And a lot of fans think that. Pat Riley gets gets all-stars at pick 14. Tyler Hero could be an all-star one day at pick 13. Other teams are basically just giving up at that point, and he's getting all-stars out of it. It also says a lot about Jimmy Butler and the fact that look how dysfunctional Philly is now. Do you blame the guy at all for wanting to leave? He's leaving two superstars. He's going to play with a bunch of... Not, I don't want to say no name, but not Ben Simmons and, and Embiid, and he's just looks like such a better, more complete team. Looks like, and Eric Spolster puts it all together. He's and awesome. is great, and I think that how the Heat run their operation, and these players, I, it's just like they were able to retool, reef, and bring these young players in, and their passion, and watch the passing. Like, you're look, like you're watching Princeton. They are, there are some possessions, I think they had seven or eight passes. There's a 24-second clock, and after that, they still throw seven or eight passes. Mm-hmm. They look like the uh, Harlem Globetrotters <laughs> passing the ball, and I, I just love it. Anyone who likes old-school basketball and saying, let's have our best shooters shoot the threes, or get inside, even Duncan Robinson has, like, some games four 
four or five assists because whenever they're all just he's going to shoot the three he passes the ball in and then it's always like three or four passes almost like a hockey game there's sometimes where they're just doing these touch passes just like a hockey assist mm -hmm. where they just keep touching it and where there's no goal like there's no one around them because everyone's so confused no you're absolutely right on that by the way it's iron sports on the true oldies channel 713 at 730 danny tarkanian is going to join us so ira we're going into this week and they had some really bad losses what they lost to cleveland lost to minnesota now i'm like this is not good then the best team in the east <laughs> comes into town and they beat them they beat milwaukee by 16 on monday night after our show we watched that i came down to watch them beat the magic mm -hmm. uh and, and how they played it i said just describe that game that was that was a nice win the magic are a good team and that was a that was a good win they go down to play new orleans and New Orleans is great. If they had everybody together and watching Zion play was great and they've had this trouble on the road but they lost to New Orleans but then they came back and won last night against Washington out of bio at 27 points, 14 boards, 6 assists. Butler got hurt but Duncan Robinson 8 for 12 for 3 point shots. I mean I'm telling you every single game he's making 7, 8, 9 3 pointers a game. Like Steph Curry and his pro in his high day was not shooting <laughs> what he's but Duncan Robinson's been doing like the last two weeks. And it's a, a complete team like you said. I mean he's not getting 40 looks like Steph would back in the day when he was the only option, they're looking to facilitate other people. Um, so let's talk about the rest of the league. And, man, is LeBron James making a case to be the MVP right now? I, I know it's Giannis is probably in the lead, but you got to be looking at LeBron. This was a big week for the NBA because the, the there were a lot of these key games. And the Lakers played Milwaukee. Now, Milwaukee sort of like the punching bag because they had to play four games in six days, and they had a, they had the best record in the league by far. But they started to lose games. They're getting tired. And, and, and the Heat exposed some weaknesses they had. They were able to, to, to shut Giannis down. And then when they played the Lakers on Friday night, wow, I mean, First of all, watching LeBron guard Giannis and how LeBron is playing and this motivation. <laughs> this is playoff finals, oh, yeah. NBA finals, do everything LeBron. And it's like LeBron and Anthony Davis. LeBron had 37 points, 8 assists, 8 rebounds. Anthony Davis had 30 points. And then 9 other players had 10 points. So they have all these other players on the team, interchangeable. They'll see what happens. But LeBron is the, the straw that stirs this. And he was tremendous from the offensive and defensive. Just He said, look, give me Giannis. I'll guard Giannis. And Giannis just could not get by him and there were plays where LeBron gets the ball and just drives he is just playing <laughs> and he's 34 years old and playing great He's an absolute beast, and yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that MVP conversation shakes out as the season goes on. Well, I thought at first Giannis was running away with this. Look, LeBron's averaging 25 points, Giannis 29. Uh, the boards, Giannis has 14 boards to LeBron's 8. And assists, LeBron is leading the league in assists at 10.6 to Giannis is 5.8. And any other year, they're both totally deserving for it. But now they're only two games separated in the in between the Lakers and the, and the Bucks. And I really would give it to LeBron. I think he's playing great, and they've just played now, and he was the better player on the court. And then they go and they play the Clippers on Sunday. I went, was at Roger D at uh, 15 ballpark. I rushed back, watched that game, and everyone's saying, Kawhi Leonard, so great. Paul George, this is where they're all, no excuses. Uh, George was playing, uh, Leonard was playing, all the guys are in town. And it was interesting, the game, Mark Keith Morris plays plays for the Lakers, and Mark Kiss Morris, his twin mm -hmm. brother, plays for the Clippers. So it was Mark Keith and Marcus <laughs> playing against each other. And uh, and LeBron, again, 28 points, 9 assists, and Leonard just had 27 points, but no assists. And and it was just, and they won by 9. It sort of wasn't even that close. And I thought it was a great, as much as the, we thought that the Clippers were going to do something and stop the Lakers, I just, when you saw how good LeBron was, and how you just can't guard him, and how on defense he was just shutting down Leonard, whatever mm -hmm. he wanted to do. He 
just he won the, to me he won the MVP this week and also the Lakers look like the primitive favorite to win the NBA finals. How interesting is it going to be that LeBron is going to be first team all pro point guard? Yes. <laughs> it never happened in his career. He's 34 and just completely shifted what he can do. Uh, the guy is just uh, amazing, and uh, I'm starting more and more, Ira, to put him ahead of Jordan. No, just, no, no, don't say that. I know, that. but no, no, I, you know, no, no, no. I'm also younger, and I didn't see the—like, seeing what this guy does night in and night out, I'm like, this is the best player I've ever seen. Maybe the best athlete I've ever seen across every sport. He's, he's incredible. Um, something interesting came out from the Atlanta Hawks. And you might want to talk about this. Well, the, the idea was from Atlanta, they wanted to um, start, they wanted the proposal to start the season in December rather than and end it in like August. Because right now we complain about it, I complain about it because I'm like, the season starts, it seems like in October and it's starting October against the NFL. And it just, it just, no one cares about the NBA until like right around now. Like after the Super Bowl, then they start caring about the NBA. They, they care about it a little bit on Christmas and then right around now. And that's just one thing, thinking about how to get more people concern more interested in the regular season of the NBA. Ira, you want to update us a little bit on how these standings are shaking out? I feel like the Heat are kind of locked into the 3, 4, 5 seed. I don't think they'll be able to get up to 2, and they surely shouldn't fall below 5. It's But as much as I love the Heat, the Pacers are good, too. Yeah. The no, Sixers might. So they are going to have a battle in that if they're the four seed and they have to play the Pacers at the five, that's going to be hard. Now, if they can, they're a game and a half behind the Celtics with the three, so then they might have to play the Sixers. I mean, they still think they're, they're too far to get back to the Raptors. They're four games behind the Raptors to get the second seed because right now the Nets and the Magic are the, bat, the worst two seeds. But look, the Heat could lose. If they play the Pacers, the Pacers could beat The Pacers yeah. have played well. So the Sixers, I don't think, but who knows? If Embiid and Simmons decide to play for a series, Yes, they might they might win, but uh, I'm I'm excited. I just I'm nervous for the Heat though against the Pacers because I think the Pacers people aren't giving them enough credit, but they could win. And then in the West, uh, I, it's really interesting what's happening. So now the Lakers have the West one. Clippers are in second place, and they're they're really battling. Denver was this team that I liked before the season started. They started out slow, then they had this huge run of games, but then this week they lost to Golden State and Cleveland, and then Utah, which had started out horrendously, has now been playing better. They have Dennis Mitchell at the point guard playing great. Uh, they, they beat Cleveland, New York, Boston, Detroit. It seems like whenever you play these Eastern teams, mm -hmm. they go in and they win and they won. And then Oklahoma City actually has the fifth seed right now with Chris Paul. And everyone said, oh, they gave up everyone. Westbrook's gone. Chris Paul's come in there. Uh, Shea Gilders, Alexander's played great. They're there. And then Houston, which looked like world beaters two weeks ago, now has lost four in a row, including the Knicks, uh, Clippers, Hornets, and Rockets. James Harden looks terrible. He is shooting. Uh, he was 0 for 8 against threes. I mean, he hasn't made as many. Duncan Robinson makes in one game as many threes as Harden makes in like three or four games right now. So he's totally fallen off. And then it's fun, a fun team to watch. Next year, Dallas, they're going to make the playoffs, but they have Doncic, Porzingis, Seth Curry, Tim Hardaway Jr. What an exciting team. So I, I love them. And so the final playoff spot, everyone thought New Orleans could get in there, but it looks like Memphis with John Moran is going to hold, maybe still hold them off. They still Crazy. have a four-game lead to get that A spot. Now they'll probably get swept by the Lakers, but it's still interesting to see how they're all battling. New Orleans, Sacramento, Portland, San Antonio, all trying to get that A spot. It's very, very exciting stuff as we uh, wind down the regular season. Um, Nets fired Kenny Atkinson. You want to talk about this real quick? You know, this is my boy. Oh, I just, I, 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 I just don't know. This is ridiculous. He 
he's he took over one of the worst teams in the world. His 20 wins in his his, his first year was amazing because they had no players. Mm-hmm. Then he won 28 to second. They make the playoffs last year, won 500, and this year they were going to make the playoffs again. Now remember, they don't have Kevin Durant. They don't have Kyrie Irving. They, they don't even have, they trade away D'Angelo Russell. They have Spencer Didwitty is their star player. Mm-hmm. They have Joe Harris. D'Angelo Russell was a mess. He goes there and he makes him to sign a $130 million contract. Like, he has done miracle. He is a great coach, tremendous coach, but Kyrie Irving doesn't like him. And that's what happened. And it's crazy. 20 games left in the season. And Kyrie's not even on the team. Kyrie had season ending surgery. Kevin Durant hasn't played the whole time. And like to get a coach like that fired is ridiculous. But you see Kyrie when he was with Brad Stevens at the Celtics trying to get Brad Stevens fired. And Brad <laughs> Stevens was there. And when he was at the Cavs, they got David Blatt fired when they took him to yeah. the NBA Finals. I mean, Kyrie... I, again, I'd more as great as LeBron is playing right now, the more I watch Kyrie Irving, the more I think this, how LeBron won a title with Kyrie Irving, that's to me this greatest accomplishment. <laughs> and I just am sick and tired of people say, Kyrie hit the game-winning shot, Kyrie hit the game. LeBron won that game. LeBron blocked Andre Iguodala. LeBron made big shot after big shot in the game. Okay, Kyrie made a shot. So what? It's like saying Steve Kerr should have get credit for the title the Bulls <laughs> won against the Suns because he had a key shot in the, in, in the game. But it's an instead of Michael Jordan. I, I just think Kyrie Irving has to be, I, I mean, I give him credit. I've never seen a team destroyer like him. Coach destroyer, team destroyer wherever he goes he was terrible with the Cavaliers they were the worst team in the league LeBron goes there takes in the finals then he, he doesn't want to stay in that situation he goes to the Celtics they have the worst years they've had in, in the last days they're terrible then he goes to the Nets and plays 20 games this year and they're worse than they were last year in 20 he, games he's the definition of a, a cancer like that guy is just wouldn't want him anywhere near my franchise but I'm a Knicks fan so I, I what's the difference at this point let's talk about baseball I we got about eight minutes or so until we're joined by Danny Tarkanian um you know here in Palm Beach County we are a Honda Classic. That is our event. But a close second has to be spring training. And it's it brings literally thousands of people from St. Louis to this area every year. They, they fill up Jupiter. But we love spring training in Palm Beach County. So let's talk about our two facilities because you got to take in both of them this week. Yeah, I, I, I my, my mom actually was the one pushing, saying, we're going to go Saturday to one. We got to go Sunday to the other one. <laughs> and so I just... I, I, look, I go to the Roger Dean every year, so but I have to say they they have to got to improve their net. As much as I hate the Nets, which I despise, you the are Nets, the anti net anti net guy. But their net <laughs> is just unbelievable. Like I don't like they're going to catch every fish because that net it's impossible to see through it. Whereas the fifteen net is much nicer, so I like the fifteen net mm-hmm. much better than them. I love the fact when you leave the game, there are so many restaurants now. It is just, you have like a feel of a city. People are going to all the bars. There must be 20 bars and restaurants in Abacoa. Everyone's walking around. I like that a lot. I think that's great. The food in the stadium is awful. The lines are far too long for a minor league game. And I don't like the fact when you're in the seats and you have to go get your food, you have to go up, then you have to go back down, and then up again. It's, mm-hmm. it's very, it's just not, it doesn't, it's not smooth how you do that. And I'm, and the scoreboard is a joke. The score, I, I've seen, <laughs> there has to be like, uh, like fifth grade uh, T league T league teams that have better scoreboards. I, I can't see the scoreboard. There's there's no way to follow it. I, it's it's a disaster. Mm. It is the worst scoreboard I've ever seen. <laughs> so. It, the fit team, and also I don't like the parking there. They used to have let people park across from the stadium, but they don't let them do that anymore. There used to be a nice lot, mm-hmm. and so now it's like hard, you have to run around trying to find parking. But fit team is just as bad with the parking because they have the water reservoir in front of it, so you have to park like a million miles away for the stadium unless you have a pass. I encourage everyone if you're going to the stadium, buy the pass online so you can sit park to the left and not really really super mm-hmm. far away. But I do like the stadium, the seats, the sight lines, the net is better to go look through, and I like the fact you can walk up and you're, all the concessions are 
like at the PNC Park and a lot of these baseball stadiums, right there. So you set more it, modern feel. Yeah, and... you go in and you're waiting in line. Even if you're waiting in line, I think the food there is awful, also. But at least if you're waiting in line, you can sort of see the game, you feel the game. You don't feel like you're underneath the stadium and doesn't doesn't know what's going on. And I like the fact that fans can sit in the outfield. Uh, the scoreboard is nicer, but they have a white backdrop with clouds where they put white lettering, so you can't understand <laughs> who's delaying. And you really need that when you go to a minor league game because you don't know these players. I mean, yeah. you, you follow baseball. I know you're like the Mister Know Every Minor League Player, but there are <laughs> players that like when they come up with like no numbers on their back, you know there's a problem. <laughs> like who are these guys? Like, is this a bad boy? Or? Right? Yes. They, so I mean that's what I mean that's why I tell everyone go to spring training, get there by the fifth inning, like the St. Louis Cardinals leave, like they actually get their bags, and Paul Goldschmidt is like walking out, you're mm. sitting there, and they're they're leaving. My mom goes, well, what happens if it like gets closed or something? I'm like, they're long gone. Like, <laughs> yeah, that that ship has sailed. <laughs> um, you got to see um, the Astros, and of course, there's a lot of uh, you know a lot of. <laughs> scrutiny around this team, but what'd you think about uh, seeing them? Well, I think the fans were, they know who the boo. They know to Bregman, Correa, Springer, and Altuve. They weren't booing. I thought they would boo everybody. They only boo those four. They they were very good at knowing who to boo, and they I booed them. That. So, and I thought the boos were bad, and I thought the only, not, but they weren't like deafening boos. Like, I, they weren't the loudest boos. I'm sure regular season gave it worse, but they would, people would scream out like, curveball, curveball, <laughs> like right before it's happening. And I gotta give Bregman credit, because he was joking around, like, one guy was calling him out like I think they're so close to the players and you're heckling them but they're like they look back and they were they were not like cursing the play the fans I mean they were they were having a good time with it too so I I gotta give them credit with that but it was uh but I got to see Verlander pitch which is I think they shut him down so it was like the last time he's gonna mm-hmm. pitch so he pitched this week yeah, he this may not make the season over right maybe the season over so it was good to get Verlander I have an I run sports my Facebook page and uh, Twitter and Instagram I have all these great Verlander pictures which I was sitting in the first row got some great pictures of him um what about um the cardinals i know you got to see uh, i got to see them and this is a team that uh, i really don't know what we're going to get from them in the majors this year they're kind of a team in flux i got to see their pitching i saw wayne wright pitch he got hit hard by the mets uh but uh paul goldschmidt looks great uh, he looks like the like a star in the lineup but uh colton wong their second baseman and paul Je- paul Jejong. Jejong had four home runs and eight R- rbis already this spring training mm-hmm. so they have they always have people and they bring up this guy dylan carlson who's 21 years old was 357 in the in the in the in the spring so far and Lane Thomas I saw him hit a three run home run so they always have somebody that's coming up and playing so I like that team a lot but and their fans are great the fans are really supportive but I I, I think that I think the cards can definitely I mean look they're every every year they're in contention to win the division mm. NL Central is looking better and better every day though yeah. which scares me a little bit I would have thought they would have tried to hold on to Marcelo Zuna who's now at the Braves um, I think he didn't get that, that much have, money you know what they like a lot of these young the, the Carlson and and Lane Thomas, they like their young uh, outfielders. I think they have these young outfielders that they want. They felt they could they could play well. Um, you got to see the Mets. Yeah, and I got to, you know, wonder who's going to come when the Mets are there. Porcello pitched one of their best pitchers, and I got, well, passed, but he's like the fourth or fifth pitcher. <laughs> pitched well. But then I got to see Pete Alonso, who's the home run uh, champion, uh, came in, and then Robbie Cano. So I got to know Tim Tebow. Pretty big for traveling. Guy. Yeah, so I got to see. It was it was good. It was it was interesting to see see how the Mets are doing that, and it was great to see Alonso. I got some great shots. I mean, that's one. So what happens is for the Mets, and the I was able to sit right in the first row, and I put my camera right up to the net. So I 
got pictures without <laughs> any net at all. So it was great. But I, it was great to see that. Great to see them. So you know, we're talking about uh, Mets, which a, a team I think is on the rise. They're going to be better this year than last year. Then you got to see the Tigers, and this team just looks as dysfunctional as any team in baseball. Wow, it's well. I, it was my only net time. First time I've seen the Nat, watching Nationals. The last time I saw them was in the World Series, which they actually lost mm-hmm. Game Five. So now it was cool to come back. But they don't have Rendon, but they have this guy called Carter Kiboom, which is a great name. Kiboom. I brought him up on the show weeks ago that they're they're going to let Rendon walk because Carter Kiboom is their Kiboom. Okay, he's so, the uh, third baseman of the future. And, and he looked good. He looked he looked really good. And Soto was playing, so I got to see Soto play. And their new guys. They have the first baseman Eric Thames and Sterling Castro who played for the Marlins while well, at second base. Uh, they, so that we. No Strasburg, no Scherzer, no uh, Corvin, none of their star pitchers. But if, one thing about my, uh, spring training baseball, they bring their best relievers at the end of the game. Strickland and Rainey, uh, they came in at like the 7th, 8th, and I think. Now, they're pitching against the worst Tigers, pitching players, which are bad. But it's weird when you see the Tigers. Like, they are, like, it's like, where are you now? Like, Austin Romaine, who played for the Yankees, which I didn't know was still in the league. We should have kept him. He was a, he's a great backup. He's at the Tigers. Yeah. Okay, and then where's Jordy Mercy? Where's the Mercer with the Tigers? Like, these <laughs> players that you are, they out of the league? No. No, if you can't find a player, don't know that. Look at the Tiger roster. They are there. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, if you don't recognize a Nationals player, it's because he's 20, and they just keep bringing up these studs. Uh, we're just about one minute till we get to Danny Tarkanian. Ira, I'm going to throw this on you. I don't know if you heard this today. So Tyler Glass now. Um, he was on the Pirates. Uh, Pirates all through this development stages. Not there anymore. And he said of their pitching program at the Pirates, there's no advanced stuff. There was nothing. I could go maybe check my spin on a computer, but that was it. They would say, don't worry about it. Go and compete. <laughs> said default was pitching in, down, and to contact. This just seems crazy to me. And I don't know if you have a take on this, but it's true. The, this guy leaves the system, and he's an, all, an all-star. Same thing with Garrett Cole was supposed to be this super stud. Leaves the system, becomes the best pitcher in baseball. Jamison Tylon, same thing. It doesn't look good for their pitching coach. And the Pirates got sued, are getting sued by the union. The yeah. only team to get sued because they're not spending enough money. They're only spending that's $45 million this year when everyone else is spending between 100 and $200 million. They're only spending $45 million. So they're taking, they're actually making, and they're, they're one of the most profitable baseball teams because they're getting all <laughs> All the money from everybody else who's giving them because they don't they don't have, they don't make enough revenues but they're taking revenue sharing and that's what the, the union's saying but there's no floor in and there's no floor as the other sports are in baseball so they don't pirates can spend a dollar if they wanted to it's 7 30 iron sports we do have our guest of the evening on the on the line it's danny tarkanian danny thank you so much for joining us here on iron sports well thank you thank you for having me on Ira, what do you got for, for Danny? So, Danny, um, I finished your book this this uh, weekend, uh, Rebel with a Cause. You wrote about your father, Jerry Tarkanian, the legendary coach at Fresno State, well, mainly UNLV, but also a coach at Fresno State and Long Beach State. Uh, but I, I loved how you, I mean, I grew up with the UNLV team. So that's what I grew up, and I know you were the point guard on that on that team. But talk about, I just to let our listeners know, how big was that UNLV team in Las Vegas? Like, give us some of the stories about, people just don't think, realize, could one, bas- one college basketball team be as big as that team was? Yeah, well, and it wasn't just one team. It was from the, the, the 19 years of my father's career, most Every year was like that. In, in the late 70s, they only had a 6,700-seater uh, stadium or arena, and nobody can get a ticket. They used to have a passgate uh, list that they would let my dad add people on, and they, those people would sit in the aisles. One of them would be, was Frank Sinatra's son, the bodyguard, Frank Sinatra's bodyguard son. And he, uh, they, they ended up cutting off the pass list, and Frank Sinatra went ballistic. Uh, my dad had to go all the way to the 
president of the university and say, this is for Frank. We've got to get his, his bodyguard son back into the game. Uh, Frank Sinatra is a huge fan. Many of the big celebrities uh, that ended up uh, watching the, the Lakers and Showtime were running Rebel fans at the, uh, at the uh, late 70s. And uh, it was a great atmosphere. Uh, it was uh, the pregame show was ahead of its time. It started off with a light show and it turned into a fireworks show and laser show. Now you see a lot of the NBA teams copying that. They had Gucci Row where the real uh, um, expensive seats were, where the celebrities sat, like uh, Showtime and the Lakers. Uh, you couldn't get a ticket to the game. In fact, when they went to the Final Four in 1977, they stopped gambling at the Tropicana Hotel for the first time since John F. Kennedy's assassination. Everybody in Las Vegas lived and died Rebel basketball. And the, the teams you're probably talking about, the national championship team and then the one after that was undefeated that lost to Duke. You know, when they won the national championship, the entire community was in a celebration mood for almost a full year. And when they lost to Duke the next year, for months, you walk around town, everybody was sad, depressed. You can walk with their heads down. It was amazing to see the effect it had on so many people. Yeah, I mean, I remember that. 18, I was in law school during, and I know you're a lawyer also, but I, 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 um, I went to law school, and I, we did not have ESPN in the one. I cannot believe I was lived somewhere where I did not have ESPN, <laughs> which is shocking to me. But I would have to run down at this pizza place because they would always play on ESPN2, I think. We had ESPN, we didn't have ESPN2, and they played on ESPN2, and I'd watch those games, and it was just the most between Greg Anthony and Stacey Ogman, just the, the most exciting, explosive basketball team I've ever seen. And I think the one thing is that people don't respect is they not only did they they beat Duke for the, the win the 89-90, they were the champions for that, then they come back. And I was at Duke when that happened, and we were watching it, and Leitner and everybody lost. Then they come back undefeated the whole year, and when they beat Duke, everyone's like, well, what was that? That, that might have been one of the greatest Final Four games ever between this great UNLV team and this legend the Christian Leitner, Bobby Hurley, Grand Hill Duke team. Yeah, they were two. We ended up playing back to back. The first time, you know, we won by 30 points in the largest margin of victory in the championship game. And then the next year, UNLV was a better team, but so was Duke. Nobody realized how great Grand Hill was, and Leitner and Hurley were a year older. And then Duke upset us by two points. And uh, it was just an amazing game, back and forth game. Uh, and you got to tip your hat off to Duke. Uh, they showed a lot of uh, courage to come back uh, and win the next year. And we're talking to Danny Tarkanian, the uh, son of Jerry Tarkanian, the former UNLV coach who has a book called Rebel with a Cause. Great, great book. If you love college basketball, it really just brings back a lot of memories. Just a tremendous book. Um, but your dad started coaching, and you, you spent some time in this, coaching high school. I mean, a lot of these coaches now, they, they play in the NBA, they go right into coaching, or even they play college and they're like the video coordinator. But your dad started coaching in high school, working that out. And talk about his background and high, like what did working in high school and being this, this this superstar high school basketball coach help him later to become one of the greatest coaches of all time yeah you know he's he was not like most of the major uh, the big uh, famous coaches that were successful because he, he was not a very good player you know bobby knight these others they were all americans uh, he was not he was a backup on a bad fresno state team he didn't play for a very good program fresno state was below average when he was there and he didn't have a mentor, uh, so he started at the bottom. He worked his way up. But what really helped my father was his background 
and how he was able to translate what he experienced growing up to uh, the kids that he ended up coaching. My father was discriminated as an, an Armenian immigrant uh, living in the Central Valley of California at the time, very poor. He was a poor student. Uh, he got in trouble off the court. So when he got into high school and then junior college basketball, he started recruiting kids just like him, uh, ones that many other schools wouldn't touch, uh, the ones that have got kids that are – the poor inner-city African-American kids that got in trouble off the court and were bad students. And my dad was able to relate with them, motivate them, become very close with them. And he did so because he, he, he had an open-door policy where kids can come to his office at any point, talk to them about any problems they had. They were always over the house where my mother was cooking them dinner and um, working with them with the studies. And uh, my dad was very loyal to them. When they would get in trouble off the court, my dad supported them. And because of that, the players were very loyal to him, and they played very, very hard. And he was able to get these incredible athletes who um, nobody else can coach to play together as a cohesive team and play harder than anybody else. And then, like, when I'm reading the book, I, I know your dad from UNLV, but the Long Beach State years, just amazing. Like, every year, ranked in the top five in the country, uh, yeah. playing uh, UCLA in the NCAs three years in a row. And this is the, the great UCLA teams. I mean, it was just, again, going against John Wooden, just to take that program and become this national power, as you said, by recruiting players that nobody else wanted. Uh, just, just tremendous, at the, what the job he did at Long Beach State. You know, my mom and father both felt that the greatest success he ever had was at Long Beach, much greater than what he had at UNLV, because UNLV had some resources. Long Beach had no resources. They were Division II program before he got there. My father used to joke and say that most major college programs spend more money on stamps than they do Long Beach does in the entire athletic program. Uh, and they had they, they only had seven or eight scholarships. Five schools had up to upwards of 15 to 20 at the time. Um, so it was a very difficult time. But as you mentioned, he brought in a lot of junior college kids, kids that had had problems off the court, uh, ones that you, it wasn't a kid UCLA recruited uh, that was playing at Long Beach State. And in his third year there, they lose to UCLA by two in the regional finals for a trip to the Final Four. It was the closest game UCLA had in their entire seven-year run of national championships. Uh, so they had a they had a really going great. In fact, if they weren't in the same um, the, uh, region as UCLA, they would have been a Final Four then. Back then, you had, uh, the Western teams had to play in the Western regionals, and same with the uh, North, South, and West teams, the East teams. Right, and it was. But, you know, he's loyal. I mean, the one thing about you spend some time in the book about, and I'm always, always interested in coaches, is that UNLV won, came to Long Beach State three times and begged him to be the coach, and he turned him down three times. And only until the, he didn't like one, what he read, I think, what Long Beach State president said about him, they decided to take the UNLV job. But even then, when he was at UNLV, like the Lakers offered him the job. Like he, he could have, I mean, you're reading the book. It's like Indiana offered him a job. He really could have gone any school in the country and been the coach there because uh, he, he just never lost. And so it talked to me about what he was thinking about in terms of why he stayed at Long Beach State so long and then why he stayed at UNLV and didn't, didn't go to the Lakers or any of the other jobs he was offered. Yeah, loyalty was the most important thing that my father, he was very loyal to his players. They were very loyal to him. He used to say to me all the time, uh, you can never uh, teach a, cro uh, a crook not to steal. You know, you can teach a crook not to steal, but you can't teach a disloyal person to be loyal. And he, and he always thought loyalty was so important. And Long Beach had been very good to him until that president came um, um, and uh, really wasn't very good to my dad, and that allowed him to leave without feeling disloyal. And then he went to UNLV, and uh, they were they supported him, the entire city, the administration, through his battles with the NC2A. 
And so he turned down the Lakers job with Magic Johnson coming, and he told everybody who listened that the Lakers were going to win the NBA championship with Magic, and they only only won five of them. <laughs> My dad knew what he was talking about. Um, and then, so get I know your dad is famous for, and I think you and you didn't you spelled it out in the book. It's like, look, college basketball, and we're going, we're dealing with it right now. We have a team like Kansas that's number one in the country that has uh, all the NCAA issues with Adidas and those things. But back in the day when your dad's coaching, the NCAA is just investigating your dad constantly. And Long Beach State, when you have no money, your dad didn't even have money to take a recruiting trip. Uh, whereas uh, these yeah. other teams had like you in UCLA and Kentucky, just you know just were paying players, but your dad couldn't do anything. And then the NCAA would not investigate any of the big teams, but only would investigate Long Beach State and then UNLV. Yeah, and that was the big thing with my father's career. The NCAA came after him his entire 31 years. In fact, 16 of them, they had official investigations going for them uh, before it was all over. But what happened is, you know, the NCAA uh, is the most powerful amateur organization in the country, maybe in the entire world. Uh, they had a, this, this dictator type of person who was the executive director, Walter Byers. And they had passed great rules in enforcement in the 1950s, and it applied to the kids back then. They were kids from affluent families that could pay uh, for extra things uh, that they needed in college. But from the 60s on, basketball and football had been dominated by the poor inner-city African-American kids that didn't have any money at their homes, let alone take any discretionary income to college. And these rules couldn't apply to them. I mean, I talk about... In the book, we recruited a guy named Richie Adams from Fort Apache in the Bronx in New York, the worst area in the entire country to live in. He lived in a high-rise with his grandmother, and they had no money. How does Richie get out to UNLV to go to school? It's a violation if you pay for it, but of course somebody paid for it. They do that at every single school in the country. Uh, when they get to school, they don't have any money to go on a date or to go out to eat, to, to uh, buy a, a new clothing. I can go on and on. My father felt these rules were wrong. He felt it was discriminatory against these players that were doing so much for the, uh, the, the NC2A and that they should be treated just like other college kids. In fact, right now, the NC2A, uh, two or three years ago, passed uh, a regulation that allows schools to uh, give more money to the players now so they can live like the rest of the students in, in college. That's what my father fought for his entire career. But because he challenged the NC2A and they had that dictator of a executive director, Walter Byers, they came after my father. And they wouldn't stop until they actually forced him out of UNLV. At, at 60 years old, they forced him out of UNLV when he was at the top of his profession. Right, and then and then it was then he he dabbled in the NBA for about 30 games. I guess he was at the Spurs, and that just didn't yeah, work 20, out. But... 20 games, <laughs> the shortest stint ever in the NBA. And and he just didn't have a desire to go back, or what was? And then what was the choice? To, what was the thinking of going to Fresno State to finish off his career? Well, Fresno State's where he went to college, where he met my mother, and there's a large Armenian community there. And when that job opened up, they called my father and asked if he, if he was interested. And, and that's one of the jobs that he you know, always had wanted. His entire, in fact, in my book, I outlined how he wanted to take that job in the 1960s when it opened, but they wouldn't give it to an Armenian at the time. Uh, so he, he was able to go back to a community that he loved, and they, they were great to my father. Again, the NCAA just continued to hound us. I was his assistant there, just continued to hound us there over uh, really stupid and, and minor violations and uh, dismantled the teams. But we had, you know, they, we made the NC, we made the postseason seven times, the NCAA twice. Not like UNLV, but better than they had at uh, Fresno State before or since. And you also sued the N the NCAA, and they actually paid you money, $2.5 million. You're one of the first people to actually sue the yeah. NCAA and get money for their investigation of you. It, it actually was the first time they had to pay a large settlement, and my mom and father were 
the ones uh, doing that before I was um, involved. And, uh, you know, we think about that, how, how wonderful that was at the time, but shoot, two and a half million dollars now is about three months of a salary for Coach K or Calipari now. You know, it's not a lot of money when you think about it. And what they did to my father by prematurely ending his career years in advance, uh, it, it did make up for it for sure. We're talking to Danny Tarkanian, the son of Jerry Tarkanian, and the legendary UNLV basketball coach who has this book out, Rebel with a Cause. Uh, tremendous book uh, detailing the story. I, 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 this is like the mo- this is the book on Jerry Tarkanian. I mean, it's a, it's a, he's a, a very interesting guy, and you're the probably the perfect person to write about this. Um, just give me a story. Sure, but- of, give me a story. A, a story about his recruiting because you spent a lot in the book about, and they were amazing. Like the, what the steps he would go and how he would ingratiate himself with these players. I mean, he truly was. Uh, uh, I mean, he had no resources or, at Long Beach State and, and even at UNLV, and he's going against all the big boys, and he's getting some of these these players when at the, when he identified them earlier. But like, talk about how he was get these players in, over maybe at the UCLA's and the John Woodens. Well, most of these players um, had some problems off the court, and UCLA wasn't going after them, but some of the other big schools were that, that would have gotten them. Uh, I talk about his recruitment of uh, George Trapp, when, uh, was, his brother played for my father, and the, the parents loved my dad. And then uh, University of Detroit got involved and, and was going to steal them from, from under my dad's nose. So he flew back to Detroit. He spent a full week living in the home of the Traps. Imagine that, a coach staying in a home, of the parents of the player for a full week in the middle of the ghetto, taking long walks as the only white person in the neighborhood, sitting on the porch, sipping teeth, talking to them, and then going to an all-black gym watching George play at night. He did it for a full week before they, uh, George finally uh, decided uh, to come to Long Beach State. The best story that I, I put in the book I think about his recruitment was when he was recruiting Sidney Green in New York City, and Sid wanted to go to UCLA, and uh, Sid had committed to UNLV, but UCLA came in late and flew him out for a visit. And he came back and said he's going to go to UCLA. So my dad flew out to New York. He went into Sid's apartment uh, where there was no air conditioning. He was sweat profusely. And Sid's mother was there. Sid was there. And a guy that was a guy named Winston that was my dad's friend that was there. Winston went. Sid was waiting for UCLA's head coach, Larry Brown, to call. Uh, and so Winston went into the kitchen and he kept taking the phone off the hook until that beeping sound came in. They put it back on and take it off again. But one call finally got through, and it was Larry Brown, and Winston yelled at the Sid, hey, Sid, it's the Oregon coach. What should I tell him? And <laughs> he said, I don't want to talk to that guy. So Winston told Larry Brown, he doesn't want to talk to you, and hung up, and that's how we ended up getting Sidney Green. That's amazing. Well, I only met your dad one time. I was at the Final Four, and I was with two of my friends, and he was in the gym. This was after he was done coaching, and he was at the gym working out on the Stairmaster with the, with his famous towel around him. And he actually paused, and I got a picture uh, with him and my friends around him while we did the picture with him on the Stairmaster, which is one of my favorite pictures of all time. And it was so gracious of him. He actually said, yeah, just take it right now. He was so cool about that, so I really appreciate that. But we've been My ta- dad was a great person. He loved to be around sports fans. And when you go to the Final Four, he's the only coach that would be down there in the lobby with all the other fans, where the other coaches would be up in the room. Well, thanks a lot, Danny, for coming on. I really appreciate it. I encourage my listeners to, if you if you have any interest in college basketball, Rebel with a Cause. It's a great college basketball book, and it, it details the all of the struggles Jerry Tarkany had against the NCAA, but also the fact that he was one of the winningest coaches in the history of the NCAA. So thanks a lot, Danny, for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And if they want to buy the book, then go to Amazon. Thank you and have a good uh, rest of the day.
747. It's Ira on Sports <clears throat> on the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Never had a losing season, Ira. Only didn't win 20 games twice. That's pretty <laughs> impressive over 30 seasons. But he never coached Kyrie Irving. And if he coached Kyrie Irving, he'd be fired. <laughs> um, you know, since we're talking about um, college hoops, why don't we uh, get filled in? Because by the time we do our show next week, brackets are going to be decided. So Yes, it's, it's, really, it's amazing how it just comes up in terms of the NCAA coming in. It's only a... It's literally, we're at the end of the week, only four or five days. Mm -hmm. You're seeing this is the conference championship tournaments. A lot of them don't really mean that much except for seeding, but then some do, like the teams that are on the bubble that that fight to get in. But I'll tell you what, as, if you're a Seminole fan, you've got to be happy about this team. This Florida State team looks like they could get a number one seed. They're either get, number two at the worst, but number one. Dayton with Abby Toppin is... Uh, uh, very good. I mean, they're the third, they're the third seed. But Kansas, they beat Texas, TCU and Texas Tech this week. They're going to unanimous for number one. They'll be number one for going in that tournament. But they're still, I'm not sold. I mean, they're not that strong number one that's, like, unbeatable. I mean, Baylor was no, right in number one most of the year, like, for about, for about a month. And they lost to West Virginia this week. A San Diego State, who's the sixth-ranked team, is going to get a two-seed. They lost in their tournament to Utah State. Creighton had a good week. Like, someone says, Creighton, what's Creighton? They're ranked seventh. They're going to have a two-seed. They beat Georgetown and Seton Hall, and they should win the Big East. Uh, but you never know. But in, the, in Kentucky, which was on a nice roll, but lost to Tennessee. They won, like, eight in a row and lost to Tennessee. Uh, Michigan State's starting to play well. They beat Penn State, and they beat Ohio State. And then Duke beat NC State and Carolina. So Duke might be getting their act together. It's, it's going to be great. I mean, there's it, it, the brackets are going to be mess. You're going to look at your brackets. We'll talk about them next week. But uh, you're just... The person that picks like the favorites, their favorite uh, mascot is probably going to do very well in it. That's yeah. I was trying to get um, you know get get the woman at home to do it. She's like, I don't know anything. I'm like, this is the perfect year to not know anything. <laughs> um, I forgot uh, what I was going to say with that. I was just thinking about how um, we had that Florida State uh, assistant coach on, which we should be able to get him back on maybe after this uh, tournament. I've been, I've been texting him and congratulating him on on a CY young CY and, young, and yes. he's been great. And and uh, uh, so hopefully, yeah. I mean, this is. This was, they're having a good run. I think it's, look, they have been in the mix for the last number of years, and they just keep getting better. Leonard Hamilton has done a tremendous job with that program, and now to be, this is this is their year to win a national championship. They're right there. All right, Ira, let's talk a little golf. So I woke up on Sunday, and I was really excited seeing the, the top of the leaderboard. Like, man, this is going to be a good Sunday, and it turned out a guy I'd never heard of won, Tyrell Haddon. Well, it was his first win. It's like this is now. It seems like he had won. He was a foreign golfer. Had won off the, out of the, and some of the other events on the tour. But then he had. This is his first win on the PGA Tour. Uh, boy, Bay Hill in Orlando was a very, very tough. Goal. Only four golfers were under par. And Sun J M, who won the Honda, finished in third place. Yeah. Had minus. So Hatton won at four under. Leishman of Australia was a three under. M was at two under. So to go back to back, I mean, that is. Th th these are two hard courses that played very hard with win. Sun J M. You've got to give him credit. I mean, I, that's tremendous. And the fact that he's 21, yeah. he's going to be seeing a and lot then, of this kid. And then I was, I was happy because Keith Mitchell, who we had on our show, who had a tough Honda, a lot of pressure. I liked how he bounced back. He finished even par fifth place, so that was a good bounce back. And he tied with Roy McIlroy, who was in the lead. If you were watching the tournament, most of the way it was like he was in the lead a bunch of those games. Around the days, round three was horrendous. I mean, eight golfers who made the cut shot in the 80s. I mean, the headline was Brooks Kepka shoots an 81. But it doesn't say Patrick Reed shot an 80. I mean, mm -hmm. the wind was so bad that day. And the score, I think the best score of the day was like a 72 or 73. No one shot under par. Uh, but uh, Patrick Reed ended up, how about
about his scores. 70, 70, 80, 71. And uh, Fowler shot 71, 70, 77, 74. And Brooks, had, Brooks was 72, 73, 81, 71. So Brooks finished 47, <laughs> but the 81 doesn't help. But that was that just shows you how, how hard Bay Hill is. The person who was leading on Thursday after day one shot an 83 on Friday, missed the cut. <laughs> <laughs> First time that's happened in, I think it was seven years. So we're excited. I'm excited for the players coming up. I hope, I think this weekend to go to Puerto Vitro. I've been there before. It's a great tournament to watch. If anyone has a chance to go up to it, it's an easy tournament to walk because it's a stadium course. So everybody knows about the 17th green. That's the famous island hole. But it's also a great course just to walk around because they play below where you walk around. So you don't really have to be, there are holes you're fighting, looking to see what's, but in general, there's a lot of holes where you're, you don't, you can actually have a great view of the golf. Not like chugging around Beth Page in the, in the rain. No, no. <laughs> um, and then we, briefly touched on it last week you know you've been one of the biggest proponents for fighting for the honda classic to get just shift something to give us a a better field that this tournament deserves and now it's looking like it may get worse from here ira i don't know i don't see how it's we were we didn't know last week when we did our show exactly where it was gonna but it looks like it's gonna be bay hill which we just had this week then the players then the honda and then the world golf championship in austin then the shell houston open and then the masters so it would they would be it's just I don't think playing after the players, which is considered the fifth major, mm-hmm. is a great tournament because people are going to be playing Bay Hill players. Even if you just play players, you just don't want to go play another tournament. I, I, I just think it's a terrible spot, especially if you have World Golf next and you know the Masters is only a couple weeks away. Mm-hmm. I don't like this spot at all. I'm yeah. nervous for it. And also it goes against the NCAA tournament the first round. So we're going to have against March Madness. Uh, St. Patrick's Day next year falls that Wednesday. So you have that to compete with. So I'm a little nervous. I mean, I look, Ken Kennerly is just a magician, can pull out any. Thing. I think he'll figure something out, but and it's not set in stone. This is what this, uh, this mm-hmm. calendar is going to be. This is rumors. Yeah. This is rumors. This is what has not been announced. Hasn't been anything. But I would really like. I would do anything to get the world golf. That world golf date is what the. I think if that they were the date two weeks before the Masters, you would have everyone play the Honda. Then they would take the week off and practice at the Masters and get ready. And that and I think that and they'd stay at home. So if you're a golfer, you're like, okay, the Honda's perfect. I'll take play the Honda, stay there, stay at home, stay the next week, go to Augusta. I think that would be perfect mm-hmm. to get that week instead of the World Golf Championships in Austin, which is a match play event. I I think it would be so, oh just get that date two weeks before the Masters for the for the tournament that wins. Best Best fan experience every year and has the longest running sponsor on the PGA Tour. You'd think they would do a little more and be listening uh, to hear us here on Iron Sports try to make that happen for you. Uh, let's talk NFL really quick, Iron, because I got to tell you, I'm, I don't know if I'm bored to death of this CBA talk. If I'm just because I hate the changes, I'm not focused on it, but I'm not really sure what's going on here with the CBA. Well, what's crazy about it is I don't think anyone knows, and and and, and they were ESPN's reporting things, and people don't realize it's so big. Uh, Okong, who's running for this, who's going to potentially be the next play, uh, leader of the Players Association, now is suing the Players Association. There must be an internal bout- battle. Eric Winston, who was the Players Association head, who still is, I guess, until Sunday, they approved this this CBA and it was by by just a couple of votes, and then they sent it to their players, but the players have to approve by a majority vote. So there's just dissensions, like why the players are like we don't. A lot of players say we don't want to vote. On this, we don't. We don't. We think we should be voting. We don't want 17 games. We told you, Aaron Rodgers. How many times he said, we, "I never wanted 17 games." I don't know how 17 games got into Russell Wilson, JJ Watt. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they've said about the 17 games. They don't care that they're getting extra five billion dollars. They feel that the 17 game is not worth it. Now, what the league has done is they gave the minimum salaries up a hundred thousand. They increased the practice squads from 12 to 14. The rosters from 53 to 55, and they're dressing 48, not 46. Hopefully, getting you know, it's one person, one vote. So they feel that. 
Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson's vote doesn't count as the the practice squad guy who's going to be voting mm-hmm. on this. So they're hopefully, but it looks like nobody knows what's going to happen with this. But as again, we talked about last week. I hate the 17 games, and I think it's too long. And I just, I don't, I, I just don't it's, like. There's not, you know, it's all of us fans looking around and saying we don't care about a 17th game, and they're trying to force it on us. Like you should be listening to the fans here. We don't want one buy and extra teams making the playoffs. You have a great thing. Why mess with it? They're the perfect setup, and that extra team making the playoffs, we don't need it. It's perfect the way it is. They have the most. They are messing with perfection, and I just think it's a mistake. And I, 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 and I think no, everyone's gonna be confused. And you know, and and also look at all the records. When you add another game, that. it's like oh, who, then someone's going to lead every, all records that are going to be uh, how many passing yards. Well, they had it 17 games. They had it 16. You know, when they went to 14 to 16, now you're going to have this problem to deal with, with when they when they went from even baseball, went from 154 to 162. That was a big deal. You don't mm-hmm. want to have 17, and it's a joke. And, and I, I, we'll be interested to see what happens, but that's, uh, it, it'll be voted on, I think, uh, Friday night now. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm, a, I'm a huge stat guy, and that's why this stuff would just ruin it for me because it throws out, you know, the, the – um, the, the system that you've been using forever. What do you think's going on with Dak Prescott and the um, and the Dallas Cowboys here? I, I'm very confused as to whether either team is really showing their true cards uh, to the media and the fans. Well, I'm going to take the, the Cowboys side on this one. I, Zach, they offered him $33 million, 105 guaranteed. If that's true, then they just upped their offer more. So the Russell Wilson got $35 million with $70 million guaranteed. Uh, Aaron Rodgers at $30.5 with $79 million. Uh, they're, they're in the range. I mean, Ben makes 34 So I know that, that Patrick Holmes is going to come and sign more, and someone else is going to sign more. But they're in the range. I mean, he's going to be the highest paid quarterback, and yes, but but if he wants $40 million, that's Patrick Mahone's money. Like, mm-hmm. that, like you can't, like, you could replace Dak Prescott. Like, I, I've been, the Cowboys, I think, are getting bashed. It's like, Jerry Jones should write the check. Well, like, why? Who is going to pay Dak Prescott that much money? And I, a lot of these radio talk show hosts are, like, criticizing the Cowboys. The Cowboys have paid everybody. They, they paid Ezekiel Elliott when they needed to pay. I mean, they've done, they've written the checks on those things, and I, I feel like they're, if they're at, like, the $35 million range, 100 10, 15 million guaranteed. I think that's enough, and especially with these turbulent times. I don't know what Dak's waiting is. I mean, if he doesn't sign it, he's going to get franchised and just get a 30 million, some guy, 33 or 34 million guaranteed. That's always going to get. And it's going to be a put up or shut up contract because. I don't think I don't think enough people are thinking about the fact that there's a new coach there. What if Mike McCarthy doesn't want Dak Prescott? He goes out and has a mediocre year on the franchise tag. He's gone. So why wouldn't they? You know, if someone's waving 105 million in my face and you know that you're a fourth-round pick, I'm taking that money. So I'm kind of with you on this And also, the, pre- the prestige of being a Cowboy quarterback is just amazing. Look, uh, Tony Romo, is the two lead analysts in the NFL, Aikman and Romo, are Dallas Cowboy quarterbacks. If yeah. you're a Dallas Cowboy quarterback, that brings a lot added to it. You do all the commercials, you're famous. Yeah, he's I, doing chunky soup commercials. Right, do no you need asking, the $2 million? And, and I heard Nick Wright was talking about this. No one's asking him to take a discount. Like, I don't think there's a discount. I think they're being fair with his offer. I don't know what he's doing. I think this has been dragging on so long, and everyone talks about it. I think he just... I, I think the Cowboys. I think if it's if it's what it is at 35, 110. I don't know what I, he's no way he's not going to get 40 million. He's not getting 30 from anybody, let alone 40. If this was the Dolphins, we wouldn't be talking about it like this. But the fact that it's the Dallas Cowboys, it's just always a bigger deal. They also have to factor in. Do you want Amari Cooper here? Because this guy's going to want a lot of money, too. And once Amari Cooper joined the equation, your stats got significantly better. So if I were him, I'd be taking, like, okay, I'll take 33, but make sure you get Amari's deal done. You know, something along those lines. I don't know what 
what's the way to make it. But if I was Dak, I would not be listening to my agent right now. I'd be trying to get something done. I mean, we got we got to touch on it, and because it's literally the only topic that you hear anywhere in the world right now, it's coronavirus. And the reason that we are you know, even discussing it is because of the trickle down effect of maybe major sporting events getting canceled. Yeah, it's it's very it's it's very sad. Um, uh, it's it's just a, it's a tragic thing, and and I hope uh, the one thing is that we've had in our country whenever we've had bad things. I remember after nine eleven, uh, I was there in New York. I mean, mm-hmm. it was only a few days after nine eleven. They're playing a baseball game. Yeah, of, they took like a week off. Uh, uh, the football was back in ten days, and I think sports has really been great for our country. I'm going to talk about sports. I run sports, and I love sports because I think when things are going bad, I, I talk on our show about how my grand, when my aunt was very sick, and I'd visit her in Louisville, Kentucky, and we just watched. Uh, the NBA basketball, just sit there and watch games for two hours. And it was like something just to talk to her. My, when my, my grandmother was dying, we, we watched Tiger Woods, and she just mm-hmm. loved watching it. And I think sports is very relaxing. That's why I hate when people fight over it. I think it's, and it's something that brings people together. And it's, certainly you have fights and everything. And I just would hate for a situation where we watch sports and, and no one goes to it. And I think, as LeBron said, it was, it just, it's weird. It would be just unfortunate if that would happen. And in 2015, the Freddie Gray game, when there was uh, the Freddie Gray situation in Baltimore, they, and there were potential riots, they played a baseball game without fans, mm-hmm. and that was unusual. Boston University played some hockey games because of measles outbreak without fans. And in Europe, I noticed that in Europe and Mexico, a lot of times they punish teams when they, for, without fans. Oh, yeah. If like, your fans are violent, then they play them without. But uh, there's been a couple golf matches when the, it's just the conditions have been poor. Uh, they, they have had the fans. Tiger won the tournament in Japan for one of the, the rounds. It was the water. It rained too much, and they could have fans on the course. And there was congressional played with that. But now the Indians' wells has been canceled, and uh, you just it's just it's just uh, it's very sad to think that we're going to. And I just would not want to have a situation. I mean, I, look, I'm not making a decision. If it's if it's safe, you can't do it. We can, you certainly can't have people there. But it would really be, I think sports brings people together. It's exciting to be with other. And I think it adds to the excitement of everything. I think I don't think people want to see sports become studio wrestling also. I mean, that's <laughs> people want to talk about studio wrestling. That's what wrestling, when I grew up, used to be in a studio. And they would watch it. It was Film Screens, Pennsylvania, WWE. I had no idea. And then I went to a wrestling match. I'm like, this is great when you see it live. And finally, WWE said, you know, we should really film when we're at the events rather than whatever. <laughs> I actually once talked to Shane McMahon about that. It's like, yeah, they, it was just too hard for them to actually film at a, arenas to get that arena feel. That's why they filmed at the places. So I, I do hope that, I hope we, I just hope everyone stays safe and I hope everything can work out. And I would not want to live in a, a society where we don't go to sports and we don't have to watch it on TV and staged and, and, and empty arenas and things. Because you know how much I like going, but it's not just me, but everyone goes. And I think it's, it's just great for camaraderie and spirit. And uh, the other thing I would add would be, you know, like a lot of old people can't come out um, they love sports I and mean, if you know people that are old that are maybe talk to them maybe go over to them if, you're, if they're healthy enough you can watch a sporting event on TV with them mm-hmm. and, and see that or go on the phone and talk to them about sports because I tell you what I can't tell you how much how many old people I know that just love love talking about sports so if you have a chance to to cheer someone up because I know they're very nervous and stressed out take your time out to, and, 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 and you know spend some time with some, uh, with an older senior person and, and do something sports related in terms of just sitting on TV and watching it on TV with them. They would love it. Very well said stuff, Ira. We are about out of time. So you're heading out on a flight tonight. And this is actually a really cool thing you're going to. And it has to do with a good friend of Iron Sports. Yeah, Mike Gazzolino. This is uh, Robert Morris will play. 
St. Francis, Pennsylvania, the school that he played at, for the to go to the NCAA tournament. So this is what some of the smaller conferences are having. There, you're seeing TV and ESPN, ESPN two, all these conference championship games all week. So now, right now, this is the tomorrow night will be the championship game, and then they get a ticket to the NCAA tournament. So this is really big for him, and and uh, I, I hope Robert Morris wins. But uh, I hope they don't get a play-in game if they do win. I want them in the tournament. Well, the playing games still count. But then I'm coming right back, and I'll hopefully we're going to go to see as many spring training games for the next week, and maybe go up to the play. And, and hope we'll see what happens. Should be a fun fun week for you. And, of course, we're wishing uh, the best to uh, our buddy Mike Isolino in the conference tournament there. I want to thank Danny Tarkanian so much for coming by. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Iron Sports.